Welcome to the Heart of Healing, the pandemic episodes. I'm your host, Tom Fold. In these episodes, we'll meet loving, talented people who, while coping with their own pandemic stress, are offering others understanding, compassion, love, and ways to relax and heal, even under the weight of current conditions. Listen with an open heart to those who, in this time of crisis, are offering their hearts and talents to all of us. And I'm happy to have today as our guest, Francesca Maxime, who is a somatic psychotherapist and a mindfulness teacher. Welcome, Francesca. Hi, Tom. It's lovely to meet you and hello to all of the listeners out there. Well, it's wonderful to have you here. And for our listeners who may not know, can you define what a, a somatic psychotherapist is? Uh, sure, I'd love to. I'm not sure if it would be a defining a well, explaining a I mean, what, what, yeah what, i guess it's, it's being yeah. a psychotherapist well i think traditionally out of the freudian psychoanalytic western framework people have come to know therapy as what's called the talking cure and right. many people have sort of experienced what it's like to feel empathetically listened to without judgment without solutions without talk back without um, sort of a, 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 you know, tabula rasa, carte blanche, a sort of, you know, psychoanalyst or, or psychotherapist who's just sort of there and present and able to kind of hold enough space so that whatever it is that you're experiencing, as you share it verbally with, uh, with the therapist, uh, that they are able to stay in the room with you, however big or, or small, however trivial or traumatic the, the experience. And while that is true of somatic psychotherapy, <clears throat> it differs from a lot of the techniques that have been popularized over the years, like cognitive behavioral therapy, which uses more of what we would call the left brain or the logical brain or the brain that tends to be a little bit more um, facts. It's a little bit more the brain that is- Just give me the information. Yeah, right. It's like, I call it the encyclopedia or the autobiography, as <laughs> opposed to- the right brain, which tends to be more the somatic experience, which is more the memoir or which is more the interpretation, right? It's, it's more, how do I feel about what happened? What is the emotional truth of what happened as opposed to what fact on what date and what person and what thing? Wow. And so they work in conjunction with one another, obviously, and somatic psychotherapy and my work as a somatic psychotherapist and as a somatic coach, somatic life coach, certainly integrates um, talking and, and sort of insight and understanding in that way. The somatic piece tends to work more with what is the emotional truth that gets kind of fused together in my, in my right brain and my limbic system with sort of the facts that we call it in somatic experiencing, which is one of the models that I'm trained in that gets overcoupled or in internal family systems, another popular uh, model, they would call it blended. And how can we sort of unblend or, or decouple or uncouple that emotional truth with the fact so that they don't always go together in the sense that some people will look at a little black thing on the ground and you'll say, oh, is that a rope or a snake? And you might jump even if it's a rope and you might know it's a rope and you might still jump. And that's um, our sort of nervous system talking. 
and our fight, flight, freeze response, our amygdala, our, our, our brainstem, the oldest part of our, our brain in our, in our right. upper, upper quadrant. Uh, one, one could also argue that our, <clears throat> you know, that our belly really is our first brain, which gets into the other piece of why somatic psychotherapy is different because it uses our nervous system. We're talking about uh, our autonomic nervous system and the energy that gets sort of stuck or thwarted or kind of wants to move through our body that kind of doesn't. So it's not Reiki, it's not massage therapy, it's not acupuncture. But when we say somatic psychotherapy, we're talking about the way in which a traumatic experience is kind of somehow stored in the body as maybe an unconscious or unprocessed or unawares of kind of memory that might keep us from doing other things in life that we might otherwise know, quote unquote, right. I'm doing air quotes that we could do, but we don't quite feel like we can do. And right. so it's working with releasing that or letting that deactivate so that we can then be a little bit more open. And from that more open place, it's what we would call a bottom-up approach. So the real you, the, the you that is unfettered with the burden of whatever that emotional truth and burdening and meaning making uh, can kind of come forward and then do the action that it wants it wants to do. Does that make any sense? No, it does make sense. And an interesting thing that comes up for me is in today's world with our COVID, with the pandemic, to uh, it sounds feels like it might double the problem of something real is out here that's pushing down along with whatever the past might have been to help or to not stop, but to in, in make it difficult for people to let up who they really are. Mm. Do you think that's what's happening to some degree? Well, I think that COVID has certainly placed restrictions on what we're able to do physically, geographically, and that Stephen Porges talks about polyvagal theory and the way in which our social engagement system, like right now people are listening to us, uh, they're not actually watching us, but you and I are on Zoom. And so I can watch you and you can watch me and you can see how I'm gesticulating or how I'm smiling or nodding or how we're right. sort of reflecting one another and resonating back and forth. And listeners can listen to my voice and they can say, oh, she sounds like she's in a more relaxed state or perhaps she's a little bit harried or hurried or gee, there was something tight in her voice right there because it changed. And yes. so we know that through our social engagement system, people either feel more or less safe. And somatic psychotherapy is about safety and trying to get us back to a place where we feel more safe within ourselves. And I think COVID is sort of the great unknown. And so there are restrictions out there about social distancing, physical distancing, but we still need social engagement. We still need some kind of nourishment uh, sort of to feel like we're alive and that our essence is reflected back at us through our loved ones and you know exchanges and, and things like that. And so in that way, I think COVID does put a little bit of a container around the way that we go about feeding our souls, so to speak, and feeding right. our, our human connection. Um, it doesn't completely eradicate it because obviously we have Zoom, but that it makes us sort of be a little bit more um, creative in how we go about trying to do that. And 
uh, patient and, 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 you know, testing our, testing our patients. So I, th I think some people are more able to sort of concurrently do deeper work around trauma and whatnot at this time, because they feel like they have a little bit more space because COVID has actually released some of the demands that they have in their day-to-day -day life. And some people just feel a little bit heavier right. and more constricted and that it's a little bit more hard to do the deeper work. And it's just more a little bit like, let's just kind of stay above board here. And both are fine or anything more or less than that is fine too. Um, but it just really depends on, on where you're at. Well, yes, and what you're saying though, we need to be cured and seen and heard we can do with Zoom, see we can do, but there's something missing, uh, most people feel, by not being able to touch, without being able to be in the presence of, physically present. I know that it's small things, uh, most days when the weather's right, I take a walk that is good for my exercise and all, and I go to a, a coffee shop where they have nice social distancing and masks and all of that. But just the act of going in and, and saying hello to the person who makes the tea mm -hmm. and, and getting that and then saying hello to one or two of the patrons who I've come to, to recognize over the last six months of being there. We don't know each other, but we say hello. is a tremendous delight for me. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it helps a lot. I think I'm finally a little more um, a negative today, not today, but these days when it's snowy, and it's hard to go, go out like that. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely um, a change in terms of the little tiny things that we take for granted during non-COVID times that we're beginning to appreciate are so crucial to the overall well-being of what it means to be human, what it means to be connected, what Absolutely. it means to, to, to relate. And what I love and what's so beautiful about what you're saying is it really gives us an opportunity to recognize, are there things like that, that before I took for granted about the niceties in the coffee shop, I, I wonder if there are things like that right now. Like, is it the coffee that I drink in the morning at home that I'm able to make a hot cup of coffee by myself and feel the warmth against my, 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 my hands as I'm speaking to you during this taping, I just made some tea and I'm, I'm feeling the warmth of that tea here. And can I recognize that like, oh yes, I'm in relationship also with the tea. And of course there's something beautiful with saying hello to the person at the coffee shop and being able to pay my $2 for my, you know, coffee and, you know, the nod and the wink and the acknowledgement that I see you, you see me, I'm validated as a human by you and you as me. And that we can kind of do that a little bit ourselves on our own sometimes, although it's not the same, by just noticing and taking with gratitude, like, oh, I have a nice cup of tea here that's offering itself to me and I'm offering myself to it and we're here with this also. So we don't have to let it all go out the window, even though it may shift forms. Well, no, and, and also there's another aspect. There are many aspects that are benefits, if you will, of not necessarily the virus, but the fact that we can't go out or we can't mingle. The fact that I can now have Zoom calls and do have Zoom calls with people all over the country who I might otherwise not have been in touch with mm. is quite lovely. So that's, a, that's just a piece that comes to mind. Yeah. There's something else I wanted to ask you because you say in things I asked you to write up things, everyone to write up things about this before they do the show. You said something that the desire, the work of your heart, and I'm quoting here, is trying to enable people to realize that there is nothing wrong with them. Mm -hmm. That's a wonderful statement. 
And I, I'm hearing that, you know, when you, when you hold a cup of tea or when you say hello to somebody, you kind of get that feeling that everything's okay. Mm. But more about that. How do you help us find out that there's nothing really wrong with us? Well, I mean, I think it's a leap of faith for a lot of people to begin right. with. Um, and, I, and it's an invitation uh, to a leap of faith uh, around entertaining the possibility that it may be just as true that there's nothing wrong with them as there is with many people, a strong belief that there's a million things wrong with them. And when I say this, it's sort of the difference between recognizing that for most people, the programming, the conditioning, the imprinting that one has inherited over however long one has been on the planet and for whatever generations have preceded and whatever concurrent you know, actualities are, are you know, manifesting, that, that a lot of folks confuse that, rightly so, in the sense that it just hasn't yet quite clicked. They confuse that imprinting with who they really are. And the invitation is to say, you know, I'm speaking right now. I can hear my own voice. I'm looking at you on Zoom. I can see your face. And there's a part of me that is aware of the sound of my own voice and the look on your face. And the part of me that is aware of the fact that I am speaking isn't the same part of me that, that is speaking in the sense that I can accompany and be with my direct experiences including all the things that I have associations with that one might say are joyful or negative, right. like depression or sadness or excitement. And by cultivating a relationship with and an awareness of and to and with my experiences and a curiosity about my imprintings and my conditionings and how those would be necessarily influencing me and potentially necessarily influencing my habits and perhaps feeling like they're things that I must do in order to make it another day and things that I have relied on in order to survive. That those are all adaptive strategies, but those strategies based on the imprintings that I've inherited aren't the same as my beautiful awareness of the whole complete picture of what those imprintings are. And so when I say there's nothing wrong with you, it's the invitation to consider that your awareness is transparent, it's colorless, it's odorless, it's you know <laughs> infinite in the sense that who you really are is that space that can be with or keep company to or be curious about just about anything. But when it gets so close up against our own visceral experiences, we feel like it becomes us. And I make the analogy that sometimes just because we put on a down coat versus a fur coat versus a raincoat, we somehow, we would never think I'm, a, I'm down, I'm a down coat now, I'm a, I'm a fur coat now, I'm a raincoat now. We wouldn't, we wouldn't ever say that. Who's wearing the coat? And just like that, we wear our experiences, we wear our histories, we wear, but it's not really who you are. You don't become a coat just because you wear a coat. And you will have different coats in your closet based on different needs and experiences that come up in time, but you don't ever become the coat. You use the coat 
and you get curious about which one do I need to put on today or which one has someone else put on me today? And is that really the one that I should be wearing? And there's some of that covering up who I really am. Right. And who I really am may need no code at all. Right. And in a way, if you're Catholic, that goes back to the original sin argument of Adam and Eve around the shame that was put on being naked, because who you really are is that naked translucent awareness around the idea of being able to be present and, 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 un, and unshamed. And yet, in order to fall in line and go along with the rules, we introduce shame. But that's right. a whole other part of the conversation. That's another part of the conversation. <laughs> but there's also, I mean, what, you're, what I hear you talking about also is that who we really are, and that may take various forms and may be different than what we were told we are. But is there something do you believe, because I'm going to say going into this, I believe it, that who we are is something. All, is this, all of us are the same thing in a sense. We are all love. We are mm. all that aspect of the world that is love. Finding it, getting there is a whole other story. But is that your experience also or your belief system? Do you believe, that it may not the exact words, but. I, 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 no, I'm understanding you, I'm following you. I have heard it said to me by many of my teachers that I respect, admire, and have been transformative in my life um, that what you're saying is true, that who we really are is love, loving awareness. And I would have to say that I would invite anyone who's listening to check and see in their own direct experience whether or not that may be true, if there's any evidence in their own direct life as to whether or not that's true, meaning would one say that the way that out of nothing, a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, would that be love manifesting itself? Or the way that a tree that decays somehow is feeding with nutrients, yet the little sapling that's next to it as it dies and the other one grows? Or the way in which um, a sort of person who's living next door to someone who may need groceries uh, automatically brings over some food for dinner, knowing that they had just gotten laid off. Is that not who we really are, our loving awareness, our, our loving nature? And I would just invite people to kind of check and see, because there's a lot of evidence out there that people would say, oh, there's bad behaviors here, and people are bad, and they do bad things, and they create destruction. And while that is true, insofar as that the behavior can be extremely negatively impactful and has been, I'm not sure that that actionable behavior that can be detrimental is who we really are. So when we have that negative impact, like I say, race is a construct, but racism is real. Right. It's kind of like that. Okay. Well, how can we help one another? I mean, we have it. I think many of us have it within the our ability to go out and give someone, the neighbor, some food. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there is the issue, and I guess we're not going to have enough hours to talk about this, but the issue is if the person living next door is a different color, we might not choose to do that. And that's a whole But is it really your loving awareness that's not choosing to do that? Or is it your programming that has been so imprinted with ideas around what that might mean in terms of unconscious supremacy or unconscious privilege or, you know, piped in fear? Well, I agree with that. I agree that it would be what has been imposed upon you or what you have learned, what you have been shown mm -hmm. as you grew up 
that I believe also that as you do maybe work with you or work with in, in other forms and let go of or bring up the things that you think or I would think is not not good person, not, not good, bring mm -hmm. them up and have people reflect back that this is human, you're okay. It's human, of course we're gonna be biased, of course we're gonna have um, prejudices, of course uh, it would be hard not to in this society. And the more that we're acknowledging of that, as opposed to getting stuck in shame about that, if it does come up, then we can be in a place of choice to say, oh yeah, that's there. No wonder that it's there. And now I'm going to choose anyway, which is meaning that I'm going to be very deliberate around the idea of, but I love my neighbor. They've been nice to me, or I've seen them, you know, whatever it is. And you go ahead and do it anyway. And you confront the truth of your experience as opposed to allowing the fear to win which right. is simply to say, oh yeah, the part of me that's been programmed, which isn't really me, it's my conditioning and my imprinting, I'm letting it take the driver's wheel and I'm letting it make the decision around what it is that I choose to do. And that's the reactivity part, contracting out of fear and withdrawing, being a small sense of self versus the larger sense of self, which is the expansiveness of the responsiveness of being able to be the loving awareness of the whole of it and then making a choice from that place. And this time that we have with the pandemic, which has taken away a lot of our distractions, although not Netflix, but it's otherwise it's taken away a lot of our distractions, may give people time to look into that, mm -hmm. to have maybe if they need help with it, to have get the help, have the time, and maybe even for those who are fortunate enough to be earning something, to have the extra money because they can't go to the movies, mm -hmm. uh, Yes, it could be a benefit. It could help people to get in touch with that. Yes, I mean, I think that COVID definitely is um, different people who are in different social locations and different um, you know, life experiences certainly uh, have used the time differently. Some are, are really feeling the squeeze more than ever and it was already difficult to begin with. And others I think are saying, wow, I really have more time to be reflective, to take stock of my life, to be able to, you know, uh, use, use this time that I have to, to kind of get curious about who am I really and, and, and see if I want to spend a little time with, with exploring that. Yes, so. I think so. Well, Francesca, this has been delightful. And I realize the time is zipping on by and we're coming to the end of, of our program. But before we leave, I'd like to ask you if people who are listening to this, some of our audience would like to learn more from you, learn about it. How, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Um, well, thanks, Tom. I mean, my website is maximaclarity.com. I'm like Mary A-X. I am like Mary E. Clarity, like to see clearly, C-L-A-R-I-T-Y.com. Dot com, okay. Maximaclarity.com. And they can inquire there. They can shoot me an email. They, there's a little contact form that they can fill out. Or if they want to, they can just book a session right online using my scheduler. But um, there's more about the different mo models that I've learned and practice in and a little bit more about the, the way in which, you know, I've, I've informed my practice and stuff on the, on the website. Good. Well, we've only touched the, the surface of what you do. I know there's a lot more and we could have three shows. But one last question. What is sure. your vision or hope for the time after the pandemic once we are no we're back to if you want to call it normal we're back to not having the pandemic I guess mm. 
I guess that more people will have woken up. Right. Um, I think it's a tremendous opportunity for awakening and awakening and transformation. And I think because so many people have felt like they've been pushed to their limits that oftentimes, you know, you've heard the saying, it's the dark night of the soul, or it's the, you know, sort of portal of transformation, or what do they say in AA? They say, um, you know, you have to hit rock bottom sometimes before there's a change. And I think for some people, the pandemic is an opportunity for that to be transformative in the shift, whether it's the uprising around last summer in terms of Black Lives Matter or the economic inequities and, and health disparities that COVID has pointed out in terms of different populations or the way in which we really have dealt with political issues and, and what we assume to be safe in terms of our democracy and, and all kinds of issues. I would like to think that it's an opportunity for people to have and invite in what I like to call an elegant porosity mm-hmm. and to be compassionate and courageous and to cultivate that courageous heart, to not over-identify with the small sense of self that feels like it's afraid to say or do things, but that one that really holds oneself in positive, warm regard and sees both the paradox of I think it was Suzuki Roshi, but I don't remember, to be honest, um, who said, yeah, you're perfect, but you could use a little work. Uh, <laughs> and We all. <laughs> and so that people can hold both. There's the part of me that is innately beautiful and transparent and clear and perfect. And it's that part of me that is awakened through COVID that perhaps I can use to continue to be curious about my life and how to restore greater balance in, in the collective. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Francesca. That's a wonderful vision. I appreciate your sharing that with us. And I'm really happy that you were on this show. Thank you for being a guest on the Heart of Healing the Pandemic episode. Thank you, Tom. I love to be here with everyone and um, be well and stay safe. Be well and stay safe.